Hello, and welcome once again to Happy Hour Live with Brian Rosen. This is Brian Rosen. We are not an hour for sure. We are not live, that's guaranteed, but we are indeed happy. And a name that is easy for me to pronounce, but apparently very difficult for others, Vince Riggi is here from us from a really cool, interesting brand, Belle Isle. Am I kicking it on all fronts? You know, you crushed it. Okay. You nailed it. Belle Isle. And surprisingly enough, not just my name, but Belle Isle's name gets butchered as well. It doesn't surprise me at all. So I wanted to talk to Vince today about a couple things. And I think they're relevant to our listeners. And and we get, I guess, DMs, the kids would say, or, or messages or, or reach out. So people who want to talk about starting a brand, want to talk about financing, want to talk about category and what and why and how. And so I, I met Vince a few weeks ago and he came to the InvestBev side of what we do. And his story is very, very interesting. So I really wanted to have him on the show. And I, you know, at last count, there's about 11,000 of you who really are want to in earnest understand the space. So it's easy for me to say this, that, and the other, but let's talk to an entrepreneur who's in it, right? In the fight right now, someone who has the, you know, the highs and lows that come with starting a brand and Vince, that for sure is you. And then frankly, a contrarian brand in, in really a moonshine as a, as a, as a flagship. So I'm going to shut my face up and like, tell me a little bit of your origin story, because I think that, you know, we talk about brands and, and, and you all have heard me say this before, you've got the, what, the, why, and the how of a brand, you know, what are we doing? Why are we doing it? And how is it going to be successful? And if you can answer those things in the affirmative, then you've got a 2% chance. If, if, any of them, if any of them are negative, then you've got a 0% chance. So Vince, give me an origin story. You know, Captain America's got one. Iron Man has an origin story. And you, in the same vein of every American superhero, should have one too. That's right. That's right. Well, for, before we dive in there, Brian, first off, thank you for having me on today. Um, really appreciate it. As your listeners know, you've accomplished so much in this space. And uh, as a fellow entrepreneur, branchpreneur, I know I speak for others that are listening. Uh, we all aspire to reach the level you've reached. So congrats on all the success and thank you for having me on. Oh, well, um, with regards to, to the question, the, the origin story, um, I'll, keep it, I'll keep it relatively high level because we could always get in the weeds on this. But we started Belle Isle in 2013. Uh, we are a, a distillery based in Richmond, Virginia. And we started with aspirations around creating a whiskey distillery to mirror all the really cool craft distilleries that were popping up at the time in the space. Some laws and regulations had changed to Virginia. And so uh, it was a really cool, cool space to look into at the time and, and start ideating around under. Uh, the more we dug in on it, the more we learned that the space was extremely capital intensive. That's the craft whiskey space. And explaining to an investor, um, as you start building out the plan, that you're going to stick their cash in a barrel for three to five years, and you promise it's going to be good and great and delicious, uh, oh, yeah, we have no experience. Uh, it's a hard sell. It's not an easy sell to an investor what do to you say mean? that to them. That's not something they clamored towards? Yeah, exactly. It's, it, there's not a lot of proof of uh, proof of concept there and that you're going to do it right. And so the yeah, first iteration- the way, Let me pause you for one second. Sure. By the way- this same investor, this same person will put $10,000 in a stock of a company they don't understand, trading on a market they've never seen physically work with no historical track record and say, keep it for three years, let's see what happens. 
it's a fantastic parallel and it could it's it's exactly right and so the first iteration there the evolution was was into clear spirits you know evolving from this this craft whiskey this this dark spirit we we moved into the clear spirit segment um and essentially what's the first thing out of the still that we can bottle we can sell to keep the lights on while we continue to explore aged whiskey it's the age-old adage of a small craft distiller you know whether it's gin or vodka what's the first thing out of the still to keep the lights on well our our mainline product, our aged whiskey, ages because it takes time. This iteration is what really led us to the moonshine category. Um, and Brian, you and I talked about this several weeks ago, but there, there's certainly always space for new players in every category. But we felt at the time that most of this clear spirit category was relatively saturated. It would be tough for us to stand out amongst all the brands. Essentially, where was the white space? Uh, where was their blue ocean? Where could we move into where we had an opportunity to stand out? And all the spirit categories, the one thing we noticed amongst them all, whether it's whiskey, gin, vodka, uh, rum, tequila, each had a value segment and each had a premium segment. And the only category that did not have that premium segment, at least that we were looking through, was moonshine and of note. And so zooming out even further, it's not just spirits categories that have the value and the premium. It's really all consumer good categories, whether it's cars, watches, hats, shoes. And we all know that four out of 10 consumers are going to always buy the more premium looking product or premium price product. They just will. That's human nature. And so one thing led to another. We moved fast. We broke some things like most entrepreneurs do. And we rolled out our first premium moonshine in the fall of 2013, uh, special listing. And, uh, you know, fast forward since we pivoted away from really that aged whiskey aspiration and really have leaned into moonshine and have rolled out over 10 different infusions of moonshine since that date, along with another seven RTD can cocktails uh, with several additional SKUs uh, we're going to be rolling out in 2022. You know, we're still a small brand in the space, but we sold over 8,900 cases last year. and We're on track to do about 15,000 this year um, with a third of those coming on the can cocktail front. And so it's been quite the journey to your point, Brian, a lot of highs, a lot of lows, you know, you have to really just embrace it and, and, and move forward and don't quit. There's a lot there to really unpack. And, and so if, if you're a student of wine and spirits and beer, you said a couple of things that really should put it in your blender and mix it. You know, one would be the market's really moving towards premiumization. There's two ways to attack premiumization, we feel. One really is stair-stepping. And if, you, if, you're, a, if you're a student of, 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 the, of the business, Dom Perignon, arguably the most recognizable champagne in the world, is a good seller, if not a great seller, but it used to be a no seller. And the reason it got so popular is because Mullet and Chandon introduced White Star or Brut Imperial. They steer-stepped the brands. They realized they had a champagne, a premium champagne at 70, 80, $90, $120, $160, but nothing to get the consumer there. That's called stair-stepping. So they invented, they created a younger champagne, different grapes that allows the consumer to, if you will, test drive a good brand in order to buy the Ferrari. If you look at tequila, Blanco is the number one, I guess, category for all of tequilas, but it really is there to drive you towards the Añejo or the extra Añejo. Non-vintage wine is really there to drive you towards vintage wine. And that kind of stair-stepping the basket is very popular. Now, real smart people call it premiumization, but it really is aspirational selling. 
So that's kind of one thing to think about. So if you're in the brand game and we've got a gin now in, in on Bev, at Bevstrat, we've got a gin in uh, Florida market that is a $60 gin. It's a great gin, but without a steer step to it, you're asking the consumer to take a bet on a gin they never heard of. And we, in gin specifically, in that $30, $35 price point, we call that, oh, who gives a fuck pricing? You know, they're going to buy it. Who gives a shit? Who gives a fuck? The reality is, you know, you have to do that to get them to the step higher. Something else you mentioned that is interesting is white baguettes brown. And what I mean by that is that you have to do a white spirit because it takes, it's too expensive to lay down barrels and it takes too much time. So if you're in the market there for investment or you're in the market there to do a proof of concept, you can't buy 10, 15, $20,000 in barrels and wait five years for it to become something. You either A, have to buy ahead of the curve, which means you're overpaying or develop a gin, a moonshine or a vodka, a white spirit because rum, bourbon, whiskey needs to be aged, should be aged. And that's, I think the story you're telling. A question that's interesting to me is that, first of all, your case volume is badass. We talked about it first time for a category that's really kind of micro in terms of all categories to do 7,000 plus nine liter cases and, and, and let it continue to go is really impressive. And, and you know, those of you at, at home who shop in any kind of store anywhere in America, you'd be hard pressed to find the moonshine section you know, you're going to find a moonshine bottle or two. So the question, Vince, I, I have is, and as a student of pop culture, talk to me about like moonshine in general, because, you know, it has this kind of, uh, you know, like banjo playing, cabin living, date your sister, maybe have a baby together. <laughs> you know, it has a little bit of that. And you've sure. been in, in Virginia or West Virginia, you know, to the rest of the country, it's the same, <laughs> you know, respectfully said. So how does the consumer nationally, nationally get around the micro category of, of moonshine? And then, and, and I know why you picked it, but is the audience reflective of what the stereotypical TV show would have you believe? Yeah. And, you know, I, I think one of the really positive elements to, to the TV show first off, and then also to, um, brands like Old Smokey and Midnight Moon and, and Sugarland and some of the bigger players in the space, uh, what it really helped do is it helped validate moonshine in a way that it didn't burn off your eyebrows. It didn't make you go blind. Uh, it wasn't 180 proof. Uh, it was approachable, something you could actually drink. Granted, we are not uh, we are not a mason jar. We're not a jug. We are uh, the premium end of that. Great. But really moonshine is it, really moonshine is just America's original clear spirit. You know, there was no, you know, vodka in the United States, you know, pre-prohibition. And really it was prohibition and then post-prohibition that that really created this um, this stigma of moonshine of being this bottom shelf brand, burn your eyebrows off, rot gut, backwoods uh, distilled and cut. And so it, it's really been a an uphill battle for the category to really shed some of those preconceived notions of what moonshine is um and, and it comes with our heritage it comes with our heritage and now it's really but a lot of that stuff uh being made is uh there's a lot of quality and there's there's some not so much quality and we're just trying to highlight the quality that that uh of the side of the category where moonshine actually plays in, the, in that premium segment but yeah no the the show and, and these other brands really helped validate the uh validate the category because it, it in 2010 2011 um if you said the word moonshine 
everybody says is that illegal. Now it's not necessarily is that illegal. It's okay. I've heard of it. I've, I've tried the Mason jar. What we try to do is we try to try to provide something different because whether it's on premise or whether it's off premise, the spirit space is, is, um, you know, as we know, a lot of it's marketing and a lot of it's, you know, magic show to, to a degree. And you want to create stories and you want to create experiences for the customer. And I, I'm not by any stretch of the imagination uh, saying that Belle Isle uh, in, in a premium moonshine is creating the experience or that moment you have when you transferred from your BlackBerry in 20, 2009 to an iPhone or when you uh, no longer in play. What? <laughs> or when you shifted from uh, from booking a hotel to like booking your Airbnb or hailing a taxi in New York City to booking an Uber. You know, we all know when we have those first, first experiences, but we all want to experience something new. We all want to share a story. We want to tell a story. And when someone says, you know, I've had moonshine before, it's like, have you tried premium moonshine? Have you tried Belle Isle? And it allows, whether it's at the bar, whether the consumer, to embrace a new product, new category, new segment, and be able to tell a story and to be able to talk about a brand or a product or a segment that otherwise hasn't been explored before. And that's powerful because it, it stimulates an emotional response. And, and we know emotional response, whether good or bad, at least move the conversation forward to where if we were say, you know, maybe in another segment or the category, it, it, it's a lot harder for us to, to move that needle. You know, what's interesting is that um, I was at BarCon in Berlin yesterday for the last three days. And, you know, you talked about prohibition just now, and we didn't touch on this when we spoke earlier, but I was at a pizza parlor in Berlin and the guy said, where are you from? And I said, I'm from Chicago. And he's like, bang, bang, Al Capone. And that when you're when you're overseas and this having traveled the world and this came in, in 1979, my first real real time going out of the country, it was back then it was bang, bang, Al Capone for a while in the middle years when I traveled overseas and I was from Chicago, it was, oh, Michael Jordan, you know, wow. and then it went back to bang, bang, Al Capone, where it is now. Interesting. Prohibition and the concept of go behind a bookshelf and down a stairway and have yourself a secret special something is sexy as hell and forbidden. And so much so now that in the most recent study in the New Yorker, there is over 300 speakeasy style restaurants in Manhattan. There's one that I go to specifically lower Midtown called Taqueria where you, it's a taco stand. I don't know if you've been there, but it's a taco stand that is literally a taco stand. It's got three stools and a counter. But if you order the duck cone feet taco, you get to walk behind the kitchen, behind a door, down two flights, and there's 75 people down there and a live salsa band and the whole deal. And you feel like you're part of something. So I wonder if was there a conscious decision on your part in relating to the moonshine to, to it seems to me, and I'm totally not an expert in your space, it seems to me that that Bang Bang Al Capone is a global recognized trademarkian kind of uh, space, whereas the dude with three teeth almost exploding because of ethanol extract in the forests of the Appalachian Mountains is a uniquely American and a uniquely kind of mid-Atlantic visual. So is there, was there ever any kind of decision of what kind of moonshine we want to be and how do we want to align our brand? Yeah, yeah, and um, and you're talking about the on-premise there, and you just gave away all the secrets of Taqueria. It's uh, they're going to blow up tomorrow. It's, everybody's going to be ordering the, the duck on feet. They don't need my help. <laughs> they don't need your help. 
Anyone, anyone in the comments, I'll send you the address, but you can't get a reservation. Yeah, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, and so, uh, you know, it, going back to your, to your question, Brian, there was um, thought behind it and, you know, everything from the bottle choice to how the packaging looked, the type of consumer that we wanted to target, because, you know, whether you believe brands are built on the on-premise or not, for us, it was a real our only point of access. And if you if you start a brand as a mason jar jug, I couldn't think of a worse type of product or bottle to, to for a bartender to actually want to use. Hundred um, percent. You know, and so when we were first starting the brand and we wanted to be a premium brand, we even th we even thought, okay, maybe we'd we'd make it a premium mason jar, premium jug, but we would just go from bar to bar and we had a bunch of glass, you know, unlabeled, and hey, bartender A, bartender Y, bartender Z, which bottle would you like to handle the most? Like, which is the easiest for you to utilize? What allows you to, to work efficiently and fast? Then it was the Arizona bar top. Second, because pause sure. there for one second. I'm sorry for jumping in on you. No, no, no worries. That is a huge lesson for brand entrepreneurs, right? Is you, if you make the decisions yourself, Vince, you have a, an audience of one. Audience of one, yeah. If you take the goods and bring them all over to who you want to be your audience, you have an audience of many likely have a quorum to help you make decisions. I cannot tell you the amount of brands that have come through our, our pause that don't fit in the back bar well, that are too tall for a liquor store shelf, too wide, take up, they take up a slot and a half on a 44 linear foot shelf. And if you don't think about your end user when you create the user, you are pissing away all your hard-earned money and you've done that. It's so a, that's a, if, if listeners get no other lesson today, let it be that, let it be open to criticism, open to feedback, but not from friendly fire, not from your mom and your cousin and your sister's best friend, your girlfriend, boyfriend, mm -hmm. what have you go to a bar in an area that you don't frequent and Hey, what do you think of X and that feedback could be the feedback that saves you thousands of dollars. Yeah, and and it's a it's a it's a it's a great point, Brian. Where we got that feedback, received that feedback, and to to kind of go down the path of the bottle, it was really built from the on-premises demand for that versus, say, a mason jar or jug or or some uh, unique bottle type that would jump out on the shelf. But how are you going to use it? How are you going to make? We talk about making the customer successful. At Belle Isle, it's like, how can we make our customer more successful? Whether it's putting a product in the bottle that is almost a ready-made cocktail to sharing cocktails, uh, ideas via our social media um, on our website or uh, staff educations, what have you, it's making them more successful. And so when we first rolled out, we had we have our standard Arizona bar top bottled now. We had a bottle called the Bellissima and it was about 15 inches tall. It looked exactly the same, but when we started expanding outside of the state of Virginia, Maryland was one of, one of our first states, the shelves were about 13 inches. And so we yeah. couldn't fit on the shelf. And so we had to pivot to a 12 and a half, 13 inch bottle to actually to, to service that because what was happening is in, in Virginia, top shelf is eye level with the control states. Uh, in Maryland, top shelf is 15 feet in the yeah, air. Exactly. And, a, and, a, and a $25 product on top shelf almost looks like a clear out product. It does not, that's not where you're looking for a, a $25 product. You know, it's the eyes to the thighs, right? Are we talking about my dating life? What are you talking about? <laughs> 
Uh, it's so we we quickly shifted from one style of bottle to the other. It looks very much the same, but you can tell you can tell the difference. Um, you know when you put them next to each other. Here's a great. I mean, talking about the talking about the brand and, and all that is is wonderful. But really, the there's so many lessons here that are are, are brand diagnostic, right? They're they're for everyone. I yeah. recall when Citadel Gin and Grey Goose and Belvedere and quite a few others use that tall frosted bottle high velocity bars the bartenders had hand splints on wristbands because the bottles were heavy and if you're pouring 300 yeah. drinks a night you're going to do some damage to your wrist the same way carpal mm -hmm. tunnel is damaged to your to your mm -hmm. wrist and yeah. the bartenders when given a choice would refer away to a lighter bottle something so stupid like that and stupid in the sense of stupid silly you know, they're not going to recommend your brand for a mixology program. They're not going to recommend your brand for sale because it's uncomfortable yeah. for them. Someone you've never met in a bar you've never been to, it's uncomfortable mm -hmm. for them to pour it. So when you look at designing your packaging, it is not just about you. It's about the you out there, the ubiquitous you. And I think your lesson Vince is really is, should be heated. You, you know, go out there, get market research, go out there, talk to people that is, again, not friendly fire. And, and I think you're doing that really well. We're going to pause for two seconds for one of our sponsors, Bank of America. So we'll be right back to you, Vince. And we are back with Happy Hour Live with Brian Rosen. We are not live. We are not an hour. We are happy. We're talking to Bell and Isle. We're talking to Vince. Um, we're talking uh, moonshine, but more importantly, we're talking about the do's and don'ts of starting a brand. So Vince, what does your distribution footprint look like and, and what are your goals really for 2022? Going back to what you were saying before the break there with regards to getting market research, getting customer feedback, because the, the on-premise, the bartenders are the gatekeepers, right? There is a a, a certain amount of information though that you want to you want to receive from the customer from your potential customer whether it's retail or the bartender because we all know what uh what what henry ford said right if i had asked people what they wanted they would have just told me faster horses so does premium moonshine need to exist most people would say no but one thing that you know we always talk about is uh you know gary vaynerchuk talks about it all the time is um, the, the market dictates, right? The market doesn't lie. The market tells you the truth. And you might think you have the best gin or rum or moonshine or what have you in the world, but put it out there and, and see what the market says. And we've been fortunate. We've, we've had a lot of uh, ups and downs, but um, we've been fortunate, had, had a good amount of uh, depletions over, over the last couple of years. And as any brand, you have big aspirations. Right. You, you think you can take over the world. Uh, you think you can be in 50 states. You think you can be everything to everybody. You know, we always talked about not necessarily doing that. It was let's mile deep, inch wide, right? Let's not focus on all the markets, let's focus on strategic markets. And so we expanded over the last several years into about 16 states um, with a variety of distributors. About 60% of overall revenue was outside of the state of Virginia, but that was very expensive. As a lot of craft brands know or are, are, are learning, it's that it's a very capital intensive space. Doesn't matter if it's whiskey, moonshine, gin, you're playing with the big boys. I mean, there's how many 50,000 brands out there and do 500, 500 do the do the relevant yep. skew velocity and there's only 50 brands in the back bar. 
So you have to stand out first off, but secondly, you have to be able to invest in a team. You have to be able to invest in pricing and programming and invest in your brand. And that takes a lot of capital. So long story short, we were in 16 states, about 60% of our revenue was outside of the state of Virginia. Right around the time COVID hit, we had to pivot back and really retrench in Virginia and really reassess the business on what was important to us and what was really going to move the needle and, and move the ball forward for our brand and, and, and what market could we capitalize on to, to grow the brand into the future. And so we made a lot of hard decisions, had a lot of hard conversations. And, you know, unlike any other industry under the category or any other entrepreneur, you have to make tough decisions and tough choices and pivots along the way and be nimble and agile about and agile about it. But we retrenched in Virginia, uh, really leaned into our direct consumer channel here in the state, which the state of Virginia has been nice enough to make permanent for, uh, for Virginia spirits. And by direct consumer, I mean, a customer comes to our website, they point, they click, we deliver same day uh, in the state of Virginia. And uh, it's really benefited our brand over the last 18 months since the state of Virginia has allowed DTC. And one of the reasons why we really retrenched in the in our home state and, and haven't really expanded back into those markets that we were before. So Brian, we were regionally distributed and, and then we kind of backed up and really reassessed our, our footprint. Um, and not to say we won't go back into those markets in the next 18, 24 months, but we really needed to look at ourselves in the mirror and, and, uh, and reassess how we're going about our go-to-market strategy uh, versus where we were before. Where can the consumers find you now online? Yeah, so we, uh, we're partnering with a third-party direct consumer outside of the state of Virginia. So you can actually just go to our website. And if you're in Virginia, there's a, a pull-down for the Virginia site. And then if you're outside of Virginia, there's a pull-down for outside of, the, outside of Virginia. And you can order all of our products. We put our entire product suite from our bottles to canned cocktails on uh, BelleIsleCraftSpirits.com. And uh, you have access to, to our entire product suite. And we're it's currently... Here's a, marketing, here's a marketing lesson. You said go to our website. What is the website? Oh, it's I just BelleIsleCraftSpirits.com. Okay. It's, say it's Belle Isle. And it's long. It's not... We actually... You can also type in DrinkBelleIsle.com as well. And it'll take you there. For you kids at home, always be self-promoting. Always. Yeah. Always exactly mention right. website and ways people exactly can right. buy your products. Yep. Mm-hmm. You know, the people have choices to make, you know, and the easier you can make the decision tree for them, the more app you are to get a conversion on a, to a close. Yeah. How about social? Yeah. We've, where, are you, where are you socially? Uh, Drink Bell Isle. Cool. You know, Drink Bell Isle uh, and on Instagram, Facebook. And yeah, no, you, you're talking about conversion. Again, going back to direct to consumer. And I know a lot of crap brands can't necessarily benefit that in their home state. And then you know, direct consumer outside of your home state is not necessarily full on direct consumer, right? You have to go through a third party retailer, a buy by three tiers and ship to a retailer. The retailer ships to the States, but in our home state, we've had roughly about 75,000 online sessions this year on our site, about 5,000 orders and about 6.5% of those customers have converted to a sale, which it's pretty amazing to see. And it's not just us, it's it's anybody really leaning into the direct consumer channel. and, And we look at it we look at it not just as one channel, right? And Brian, I think you and I spoke about this a couple of weeks ago. It's like, it's looking at your business holistically, right? Looking at your channels holistically, how can clicks affect the bricks? And in the state of Virginia, we've grown our direct consumer over the last 12 months by 200%, but our Virginia ABC sales, our brick and mortar sales have grown 50%. Yeah. Um, so yeah. it's not shuffling customers from digital to physical. It's, it's physical and digital really helping each other and, and distributors 
whether it's in Virginia or outside of Virginia, I think the longer we get into this, the more they're going to realize, wait a second, DTC helps us as a distributor. It helps us prove out products. It helps us understand. That, 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 jury, that jury's still out. But, but the um, look, if I'm going to, you know, as we kind of wind down, as I look at some key lessons from this, which of course, you know, we want people to go to your website and, 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 and friend you or like you socially. I'm down for all of that. I think that's great. But if, if I look at a couple of things you said without perhaps even knowing you said them, they're really a roadmap for brand entrepreneurs who want to want to come out. One is own your backyard, right? Don't have uh, these ideas of grandeur about conquering control states or 48 states or this or that. Own your own, own your street, own your town, own your state, and then have those conversations. And even though you, you've got a strong DTC presence, you also in this in the state that you're in, you're a player, and that's really important. Um, own your state. Two would be understand that what you think is cool, neat, tasty, the consumer's got to think as well. Make sure your packaging resonates with the physicalness of that of the real life world, what the kids would call IRL, right? If your bottle is a is a twenty inch half gallon for 1999 and it only fits in the top shelf no one's going to buy you because you're a bottom shelf product you know those are things you're really you're really saying Vince and 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 if you do those things repetitively the results will be yours and I know Gary and you I've talked about I know Gary well and and yes the consumer the market will always tell you the truth and your friends will always lie to you there's another part to that sentence so so true so when you go for feedback, when you go for feedback, don't go to your friends, don't go to your mom, your cousin, don't do those things. Go to people who are not friendly, is not friendly fire. Because although it may be a, a little thorny, a little hair on that dog, you you probably will have be better off in the long run. And I think Vince, you and your success are a testament to some of those hard lessons and some of those list, some of that listening to people that have challenging things to say. Yeah, it, it's, um, you know, it, it's, this industry is not for the faint of heart, right? You have to be able to, to take your licks and, uh, and get up off of mat. You know, you have to be able to take a punch and go down on the mat and get back up uh, because it's competitive. It's all get out. Like we talked about, there's really, there's only 50 brands in that back shelf. There's only 50 or so that are, that are doing all those uh, 500 or so doing those skew velocities that are even relevant in the space. So you have to understand that going in and, uh, and, you know, you got to make a great product, right? That's table stakes though. Like you need to make a great product, be able to tell the world about that product. Not only that it's great, but how can you be successful with that product? Um, you know, a successful customer will become a fan, right? And then they'll share that experience with their network and, and which in turn makes them an advocate. And that's really where the gold is. That's what the good stuff is. It's like, make your customer successful. Make sure you tell the world how great your product is. But starting with a great product is table stakes. You know, everybody's going to love the product. No one's going to make a bad product. You have to have that. Now it's how can you share it with the world and communicate it so your customer can be successful. Yeah, well, I'm not I'm not going to say a single thing after that because that what we like to say in the game is truer words were never spoken. You're right on. Make it for someone else and you will reap the benefits. Vince, thank you for your time today. I really appreciate it. Um, we'll put the links in the chat about where to find the brand, how to buy the brand what the social channels are and we are in the throes of OND. So I hope you have a great season and, 
And thank you again for, for being on the show. Thank you again, Brian. Really respect and, and appreciate you for, for what you've accomplished. And uh, again, we all aspire to, to get to where, you, where you've gotten to in, in life. And thank you for having me on. I really appreciate you allowing me to, uh, to share the story.